Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. The Holyrood Sources podcast is brought to you in association with SSE Berwick Bank. We all want a clean energy system that creates jobs, tackles climate change and supports local communities. But to get there takes more than just ambition. It takes action. In Berwick Bank, Scotland can build the world's largest offshore wind farm. That's right, the biggest anywhere, creating thousands of jobs in the process. SSE, as Scotland's clean energy champion, can't wait to get started as soon as the project gets the green light from government. Learn more at berwickbank.com. The podcast starts now. Let me be clear from the outset Rishi Sunak and the Tories are finished. The damage they've caused to Scotland is unforgivable. And this year, we have the chance to erase their influence once and for all. The SNP is uniquely positioned to achieve this. In every Tory held seat north of the border, we are the party in second place. So today, I set an ambitious goal for the SNP to not just win the general election, but to wipe the Tories from Scotland's electoral map by winning all and every single Tory seat. Hello and welcome to Holyrood Sources. We're recording on Wednesday, the 17th of January. I'm Callum MacDonald. Also on the podcast, Alex Salmons, former Chief of Staff, Jeff Aberdeen. Hello, Jeff. Good morning from a very, very snow-driven uh, Aberdeen. Are you housebound? I, we have been literally housebound for the last two days. Um, really? Mostly because I don't think it's too cold. And I don't think <laughs> Yeah, fair. Okay. Uh, Cabin also fever has taken hold here. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll do regular check-ins to make sure you're okay. Uh, also with us, uh, former Director of Communications for the Scottish Conservatives, Andy McKeever. Hello, Andy. Hello. I was actually in Aberdeenshire at the weekend, uh, on a weekend away with pals and families. And I almost got stuck, to be honest. It was about six inches of snow when I woke up on... 
Monday morning. Right. Um, and the drive down was interesting because my because I have to have a bus for all these children that I have. <laughs> um, it's like just it's like a sledge in the snow. There's no point even really bothering trying. So I feel your pain, Jeffrey. Yes. Um, you were in Torfins very briefly, by the way. I was. My uncle, who, uh, my uncle who's no longer with us, was um, uh, built his own house at Torfins, uh, former RAF pilot, um, just for some useful. It was uh, good. And I had a little, I had to take up, because I've got an electric car, I had to take a wee trip along to a Boyne with my electric car to charge it up uh, in the charger along there. And I had a lovely wee 10k run while my car was charging along the uh, the D side way, which is nice up there as well. I would recommend the D side way to anybody who's up and in that, that direction. And that in a nutshell. But now that the, the tourist like, information notice has been done, we can carry on with yeah, the podcast. That in a nutshell is the problem with electric cars. You have to go for a 10k run while you're waiting for them to charge up. Uh, right. In any case, let's all remember. No, no. Let's no, all, no. Let's all remember why we're here. Uh, welcome to Holyrood Sources, which, believe it or not, takes you inside Scottish politics and apparently the weather across the country. Uh, thanks for being with us. Thank you for sharing our uh, our little video that we put out on Twitter. Uh, kind of, I mean, frankly, promoting the podcast for 2024, given how important the year is. If you've not seen that, it is our pinned tweet or a pinned post or whatever we're supposed to call it now. Uh, have a little look at Holyrood Sources on there. And if you didn't receive our first ever email last week, then it's not too late to join the mailing list. Go to hollywoodsources.com and click onto the page that says get our emails and put your email address in. It's very, very easy. And you too can be part of the club. I wonder if I could just ask you a favour as well, since you're in the club, since you're with us on Hollywood Sources. Could you leave us a little review? It takes 30 seconds and it really helps us out. So if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify or wherever you're listening, could you just pop a little, I mean, five stars would be great. And leave a little comment. What do you like best about the podcast? It helps other people find our episodes. So if you could pop a little review on the app that you're listening, we would be forever grateful. Thank you. Uh, right, we will introduce our special guest for the episode in a few minutes, but let's just sort of catch up, I suppose, on one of the big stories of the week, and that is uh, this YouGov poll, uh, an MRP poll, which basically gives it a lot of authority. Uh, MRP polling is, is very accurate. We'll probably get into a little bit more of that as we uncover some of the results of it. Jeff, let's take the headline for the SNP, first of all, that it's set to lose nearly half the seats it won at the last general election. Uh, Labour going to wipe out the nationalist in Glasgow is how the Telegraph, which published the poll, uh, how the Telegraph framed it. Hamza Yusuf going to win 25 seats compared to the 48 uh, returned in 2019. This polling method is accurate. How much, how much weight, how much credit and credence are you giving it? Well, I think it probably confirms um, a lot of what we've seen over the last uh, several months. Um, uh, you know, it, it bears out what, what the result was in Rother Glen, for example. Um, so it's not that surprising in, in, in that sense. I suppose if you were to look for some solace for the SNP, if you drill down into the constituencies, um, uh, the SNP are still within a shout in a lot of these constituencies. So the, the, the good news is if they can get uh, a narrative and climb onto a, a compelling offer for the electorate they're still in the game but you know let's be clear this is pretty drastic stuff if, if I was the SNP strategist just now going this is the scale of what we face and if that result was to 
transpire later on this year, the general election, whenever that might be. I think the reality is that, you know, Hums is going to be in some difficulty. So they need to get to that narrative pretty quickly. And I know we're going to explore that with our guests. So I won't say any more just now on that particular subject. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's bring in Andy, because uh, just for a bit of analysis on the poll, kind of headline numbers, Labour on course to reclaim many of its former heartlands is the other bit of this, uh, which it did lose to the SNP in 2015. So uh, Labour would return 24 MPs if this polling result was repeated on election day, Andy? Yes, and the SNP predicted to return 25. Now, I was never brilliant at maths at school, but I think 25 is one more than 24, which would leave Jeff Aberdeen giving me £100 for a charity of my choice with our bet. However, (laughs) we're not actually here entirely to talk about the bet. We're here more to talk about the poll in general. I actually am... Obviously, if you look at the SNP's election results over the last four or five years, this is a bad poll, obviously. That goes without saying 25 seats is a lot less than 48, right? So it's a bad poll. However, it is actually a better poll than the prevailing narrative would suggest because we talk at the moment in terms of Scottish politics in quite a similar way that we talk in terms of UK politics as though Labour are miles ahead and everybody else is in the dust, which is kind of true at Westminster level, um, but actually is not entirely true in Scotland. Labour is doing well in Scotland under an Sarwar. That's absolutely true. Uh, the SNP is going through a very difficult patch and the Scottish government is going through a very difficult patch. Some of it self-inflicted much of it inherited. But actually, there will be quite a few people in the Scottish government and in the SNP who will look at this poll and think, geez, that actually could have been worse. Uh, We have been in government for 17 years and we appear to still be winning. Now, I'm not saying that they in any way need to be complacent. I suppose it's more uh, on the other side of the coin. I think it's Labour that need to avoid being complacent. I've said for a long time that Labour have done perfectly well um, to get the soft Tory unionist votes back to them. And you can see from a lot of the Tories' numbers, their vote share is way down um, because a lot of those soft unionists who basically voted Tory because they thought it was the best way to stop NDRF2 are now no longer making that choice. But Labour don't have anything like enough soft nationalists travelling over from the SNP to actually be certain that they are properly in with a shout of winning not just the general election, but then the Scottish election and of Anna Sarwar being First Minister. There is a trend, absolutely there's a trend. The SNP are in serious trouble um, and they they don't appear to me to be taking the moves to get themselves out of this trouble. But I think there's as many warnings for Labour in that poll as there are for the SNP. Right, if I can just come back on that though. I, I... I accept what you say, Andy, uh, and I think it's fair analysis. But see, when you look at some of the constituencies, that there's some interesting uh, potential forecast results. If, if, for example, Aberdeenshire West, where you were at the weekend uh, in Tor Fins, was predicted to be an SNP game. Now, that is the uh, constituency of Balmoral. Um, uh, and my managing partner colleague, well known to us, Fergus Much, stood there on a couple of occasions. And he's told me that his you know, from his kind of interactions on the ground there, he says there's very little chance of the SNP winning that. Mm. I think the same potentially goes for Dumfries. Uh, and I think the SNP was also predicted to pick up Keith Ness. We'll have to see what the Liberal vote does there as well. So totally accept what you're saying. And, and I said earlier, I think, you know, that a lot of these seats are on a knife edge. But I also think it could be worse 
for the SNP on, on the ground than this poll shows. So definitely no room for complacency from the SNP because I think if they lose anything around 20 seats, it becomes extremely challenging for them. I think the point about Labour's well made though, and uh, I do, we've talked on this pad, podcast for some weeks now that Starmer really needs to uh, identify himself as well. We know what he's against, uh, the various Tory measures, but what is he actually for? And I think what we'll see in the next period is both Sarwar and Starmer try to put some flesh mm. on the bones in that regard, you know? Definitely. Uh, Andy, just another final sort of introductory thought from yeah. you. Uh, yeah, well, I, I think, so I agree I agree with Jeff on some of those individual seats. Some of them look, I mean, Dumfries and Galloway to me stood out like a sore thumb, to be honest with you. Alistair Jack is standing down, um, which will give the Tories a little dent, but they've got an extremely good local candidate uh, who's actually one of Alistair Jack's special advisors at the moment, a guy called John Cooper. It's a pretty solid Tory seat, Dumfries and Galloway. So some of them did, some of the individual seats did look um, a little bit odd. And I think the other fair thing to say is for the SNP not to continue to trend down and for Labour not to continue to trend up, the SNP will have to, and the Scottish government will have to reverse course on a lot of what it's doing at the moment. So, you know, this will continue to get worse if we continue to see the current performance as we are at the moment. So I, I, I don't disagree with what yeah. Jeff is saying, but I think there's, you know, this is this is not a poll that Labour should be looking at saying everything looks rosy for us, we're on the way here, because I don't think it is. Yeah. I mean, just one final point, mm-hmm. uh, Callum, just, just a lot of this is going to be dependent on those seats that we mentioned, how the Tory vote either holds up yeah. or otherwise. So if they manage to hold up somewhat and the SMP goes down, which I think is predicted. The question is how much it goes down. Uh, that will be really problematic for the SNP. So they're up against Labour in the urban heartlands, and they're up against the Tories largely in the rural uh, heartlands. And that that's where um, uh, this election might really reveal itself to be either okay, we've got away with it for the SNP or a complete and utter disaster. Mm. Uh, just a note that the Conservatives would win four Scottish seats, down two on the 2019 result, and the Lib Dems would have four Scottish MPs, which is the same number it currently has. Uh, those are the headlines then. Let's welcome our guest for this episode. It is former SNP MP for North East Fife, Stephen Gethins. Hello, Stephen. Morning. Lovely to speak to you. Good to see you. Thanks uh, for having me on. No, not at all. Thanks for being here. Uh, great to speak to you. Uh, actually, I'm going to start. Somebody, um, we, t- we tweeted that you were coming on and somebody said, it'd be great just to hear Stephen explain a little bit about what he's up to by way of a bit of biography and what's keeping you busy right now. So what are you doing? I think that's fair. So I'm, um, I'm a professor of international relations at the University of St. Andrews, which FD, all your listeners will be aware. This is the UK's Number one university. <laughs> All right, Jeff. So, can I just say? Can I just say? So, sorry, uh, I thought it was brilliant. You put out a tweet saying we've got Stephen Gethins on today, and the first response we get, "I who's that?" <laughs> we need to raise your profile, Stephen. <laughs> well, I mean, what better way to raise my profile than to come on this podcast? Well, I can't hey, think you're... of any better way to do that. <laughs> you're not wrong, uh, Jeff. Uh, the other dynamic that we need to explore <laughs> at this point, Stephen, is unthinkably, Jeff used to be your boss, I hear. Oh, God, yeah. Think about that. That's You see, when people said you haven't worked, you haven't lived, I've lived. I've had Jeff as a boss. Gosh. So Jeff and I worked a long time ago, a long time ago in the special advisor's office in the Scottish government. Yeah. Um, <laughs> for, for a good few years, I have to say, it was, um, they were, tough years but there were there were some very happy and rewarding years as well mm. 
Yeah. They certainly were, but Stephen, just for the, the sake of this podcast, I'd prefer if you called me Mr. Aberdeen. <laughs> <laughs> Only if you call me Professor. So, uh, <laughs> and no, and no Two J. <laughs> you, know, you, know you know what I love? I love it when nationalists come on and talk about the tough years they had in government. You want to know, know about tough years? Right? <laughs> Tony, Tony, press officer, 2004. Tough years, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, yeah, we, we were talking about how much we're winning by, and you were talking about how much we're losing by. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Character right. forming, that's what it is. Well, indeed, indeed. And I hope the Scottish government is still paying for the post-Mr. Uh, Aberdeen therapy uh, for you as well. Uh, I'm, sure it's, I'm sure it's essential. <laughs> oh, <very well>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, Professor Gethin. Not a university level, though. <laughs> uh, let's, so you're it's a work at the University of St. Andrews uh, for Peter on Twitter. There you are. Uh, right, let's talk about that poll then yes, Stephen because so, I think it's I think it's really interesting to kind of yeah. consider uh, what it means what it means for the SNP and yeah as Jeff mentioned we want to yeah. kind of get into the SNP strategy and all of this but let's start with a thought from you I, I mean this would be an absolute thumping for the SNP would it not? Well I think so just just a couple of things on it I think nobody should shy away from there being a challenge. I actually think it's always a healthy thing in politics for, for, for parties to, to be challenged. I'll take a couple of things from it. One, as Andy was pointing out earlier on, it would still have the SNP winning. You know, if, 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 if it's right, and, and, and we don't know it's right, you know, it's, it's, sure. it's, it's one opinion poll and, and, and YouGov even had some questions about, you know, the way in which it was portrayed by the Daily Telegraph. But let's take the assumption that, it's right. It's still got, number one, it's still got the SNP winning. That's not to say it's not a challenge. It's not to say it wouldn't be disappointing in terms of, um, in terms of the colleagues who, 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 who may have lost according to that poll. But actually at this stage of the campaign, it's sometimes not unhelpful to having, um, so that's to pick up on Andy's point, to pick up on Jeff's point. And actually, I think it's not always unhelpful for a political party. It shows an awful lot of those seats with very, very slim margins. Now, I've fought elections with very, very slim margins, and there is no better way to motivate your candidates, your activists, and to get out and work than to have opinion polls that show very, very slim margins. And if you're a candidate and it's cold, and we're looking outside at the moment and it's um, icy, um, you're thinking, well, how do I motivate folk to get out? Because that's, that's, that's the challenge you've got. How do you lift your activists to get out. And now there are various ways you can do it in terms of the continued challenge over independence, Brexit, all these things. But actually looking at the raw numbers and saying, look, guys, this poll shows us a few hundred behind. That's our challenge over the next few months. And I think for anybody from, and and, and this doesn't just go for the SNP, this will go for any political party, that political parties, and it's something that people don't always appreciate. I know everybody in this podcast does, they rely on folk that are volunteers, mm-hmm. all political parties. You know, they rely on folk who care enough about their community, about their society, that go out and chat doors and put leaflets, um, put, put leaflets out. And what better way to motivate your volunteers than saying, this is a tight election, so we need to go out and, and work. And to be fair to the SNP, I, th- I think it's something they've always done at, at that volunteer level, is get out and work. Mm-hmm. Is it is it possible, Stephen, that w- with what you said in mind, and I take, you know, it's, it's based on your experiences and everything, we've, we've talked on this podcast mm-hmm. before about how there may be a difficulty among some in the SNP that they've never known 
what it's like to lose, that actually they've, they're kind of riding the coattails of years of success and victory and actually kind of getting in the face of polling like this might prove to be difficult. Could the opposite be true, that you see a poll like this and actually you switch off, you become a bit lethargic and think it's all over? No, because, I mean, I think, so first of all, I, when I joined the SNP, we had three MPs. And I was listening to Andy there um, talking about, you know, being a Conservative press officer in 2004. I can remember being an SNP one in 2005 when we were celebrating and we had a sort of um, a victory lap around getting six MPs um, out of, out of I think, 59 mm-hmm. at the time because we'd won Dundee. Because that, that actually, incidentally, that was the last time we had boundary changes because we had won um, Dundee East, which had been a notional gain from Labour, and we'd won the Western Isles as well. So I don't think it is. This is still, you know, a good place to be coming from. I th- I think it's always healthy for a party to think about the challenge that it's got. You should never take any votes for granted. It's interesting if you get out, one of the things that I remember, you know, doing as a candidate, and I also did it as an activist, opinion polls can do can tell you some things, focus groups can tell you some things, studies can tell you some things. But as everybody will know here, you cannot beat getting out chapping doors and speaking to folk. And the idea is that getting out chapping doors and speaking to folk, I think the Tories have got a challenge because of the past few years. Um, But I think that there are votes out there to be won. And we're also at the stage of the campaign whereby if, if you're talking about an election, let's say there's an election in... November. I think we need to be ready for an election in May, incidentally, but let's say there's an election in November. So do I, Stephen. So do I. Yes. So (laughs) you're still, you you need to be, people won't be switching on to the election. You have to be realistic about that until much closer. Now, that means that you as candidates, activists and others um, need to be getting out there, chapping, chapping on doors and speaking to folks. So I think opinion polls at this stage of the game are helpful, they're interesting, we'll talk about them. People like those of us who are on this podcast and listening to this podcast will follow them. But these things chop and change. And we know from the past few years of UK and Scottish politics that things can turn in a matter of weeks. Mm. So I think no party can be complacent and every party will need to be working hard and be reasonably light on its feet over the coming months. Yeah. Uh, your election experiences are, are, are really quite fascinating, aren't they? Because you you held your North East Fife constituency in 2017 by just two votes, uh, I believe it was. Yeah. I imagine you remember that night very well. Uh, and also, you're a glutton for punishment. You're going back to it. You are uh, going to be fighting the general election. And what is a new constituency in Angus and Tayside? I'll, I'll, I'll let you into a secret. It's, a, it's great constituency lots of family there lots of roots there um but i don't like the constituency name right so it's called our broth and broth ferry our broth and broth ferry are two as you'll all know wonderful 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 places but actually they represent just a small part of the constituency that Mm. goes from dundee you know so places like whitfield yes and broth ferry all the way up to lunan bay places like freakham and carnoustie and elsewhere so it's it's the old dundee east constituency um, which loses a wee bit of Dundee and gains um, Arbroath and, and and a bit more of Angus. Got you. Um, so yeah, I mean, look, I, th- I, th- I think it's 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 one of these things. It's it's a privilege to be out there campaigning and, and I enjoy it. Um, but yeah, you're right. You're not the first person to tell me I must be a glutton for punishment. <laughs> uh, good on you. Yeah. Good on you. 
Stay with us for more from Stephen Gethins. We'll be pushing your questions to him before the end of the episode. And Jeff will dig into the election strategy of the SNP. If you don't want to hear these ads and you're listening on Apple Podcasts, then you can pay $4.99 a month and you'll never hear the ads again. Just press subscribe at the top of your feed and support the podcast that way. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hollywood Sources podcast is brought to you in association with SSE Berwick Bank. We all want a clean energy system that creates jobs, tackles climate change, and supports local communities. But to get there takes more than just ambition. It takes action. In Berwick Bank, Scotland can build the world's largest offshore wind farm. That's right, the biggest anywhere, creating thousands of jobs in the process. SSE, as Scotland's clean energy champion, can't wait to get started as soon as the project gets the green light from government. Learn more at berwickbank.com. Stephen, I think you make a number of really interesting points. Firstly, you have been there and done it through the, the bad times and the good. And I think what Callum's point is actually really pertinent in terms of the current crop of uh, SNP parliamentarians, many of them haven't tasted defeat before. They've come in on the back of uh, the referendum 2014, and it's just been one-way traffic since then. So your experience, actually, something that I think that Party HQ should be drawing upon in terms of how you approach uh, 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 your constituency battles, I think that's something that should be uh, looked at very carefully. But I really want to test you something on this narrative um, that uh, kind of emanated from the, the SNP uh, launch uh, mm-hmm. last week, which is the sense that, you know, vote SNP to get us rid of the Tories. Now, I praised um, Hamza Youssef's uh, uh, industrial strategy paper uh, mm-hmm. last week. I think that's exactly where we need to be. Yep. I'd like to see the government the devolved government do what it yeah. can to accelerate it and use this election platform to call on uh, the Labour Party or indeed the Tory Party, whoever's going to win at Westminster, 
to unlock the levers necessary and the support necessary uh, to really make that a world-leading green industrialization. Uh, I've talked many times in this podcast, so I won't go into that detail. So I thought that was good. What I didn't think was good was this get rid of Tories strategy. I I, I might be out of the game for some time now, but all I could hear from that was a vote Labour strategy. It it really is counterintuitive to me. I mean, I'm sitting there going, okay, they're saying get rid of the Tories. Um, We're in a UK general election context context mm-hmm. where um, only Keir Starmer or Rishi Sunak will be Prime Minister. If I want to get rid of the Tories and I'm your average voter, wouldn't I just vote Labour? And I just don't understand the rationale. One, I don't think it's a particularly positive message. I think it should be about what you're going to do at the election, not stopping somebody from doing something. But secondly, aren't you just playing into Labour's hands? Well, let's unpick that question a wee bit. So I think there's there's, there's a clue in the question, which is it is a UK general election. And if you want rid of the Tories and you look at Scotland, um, and the SNP will exclusively be standing in Scotland in the general election, um, you are, by dint, the best vote to get rid of the Tories. Now, there are no seats that Labour will take off the Tories in Scotland. The only people who take seats off the Tories in Scotland or keep the Tories at bay will be the SNP. Now, I take your point entirely. That's one of the pitches. But as we've heard from Hamza and from Stephen Flynn as well, there are other pitches around folk care about the cost of living crisis. Folk still care about independence as as, as well. So I take your point, Jeff, but I think trying to, to frame an entire, you know, that was the, the pitch at, at the lodge. People want to see the back of the Tories. Now, all the political parties have a challenge. All the political parties have a challenge. And I, I, you know, and they always should in the run up to an election. But let's take this election. I think people are desperate to see the back of the Tories. Now, we talk about devolved powers and you talk about the green industrial strategy and you're right to do so. But if you look at some of the fundamental issues that we're facing right now in terms of the cost of living crisis, in terms of some of the financial crisis, folk paying their mortgages, that emanates from Westminster and whereby the devolved administrations can undertake mitigation. There is a fundamental issue there in terms of the economic mismanagement that is emanating from Westminster. Now, I take your point, but in terms of the Westminster election, that strikes me as a pretty sensible pitch to be giving folk. But Stephen, sorry, but but you're you're talking about Tory policies, which um, are conducted and administered by uh, 10 Downing Street, by Westminster. So Mm -hmm. getting rid of five, six Tory MPs in Scotland makes not a blind bit of difference um, to how those policies are administered. What makes a difference is uh, ejecting them from... 10 Downing Street, and only by definition the Labour Party can do that. So, so when you so, get into a sorry, context, Jeff. but when you get but when you get into a context, a contest, mm. um, which will be dominated by the UK media, who's going to be the next Prime Minister? The SNP are going to say, no, 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 we're the best ones to get rid of the Tories in Scotland. But again, that makes no blind bit of difference to the policies emanating from Westminster. I don't understand it as a strategy. I think it's totally counterintuitive. Counterintuitive. I thought it's totally counterproductive. So I'm going to. I think you're wrong in this sense, and I think with respect to Jeff and anybody who's listening, I'll, I'll put an out. out uh, Jeff and I known each other for a long time, as as you know, and I consider Jeff a friend. So. I think you're falling, with respect, I think you're falling into a Westminster trap of thinking about the election in terms of there are two big parties. We live in a multi-party democracy. So I was in Parliament in 2017 when you had a minority administration. We've both been in the Scottish Parliament 
where the SNP has been in a minority administration. Now, first of all, what's the best way of getting rid of the Tories? That's to vote for the party who will keep them out of power in Scotland. That's the SNP. But more broadly, whilst we're part of the union, is it not better to have a strong group of SNP MPs who can make their um, manifesto, who, who um, pursue their manifesto commitments, put Scotland, um, put Scotland first and centre, and give it a strong voice? And actually, is it? Are we falling into that trap whereby you can only have a government if it's got? A majority. I think having a strong group of SNP MPs down at Westminster is good for Scotland and actually might be better for government across the UK while we're part of the union, given the sort of issues that we'll pursue on the cost of living, scrapping the House of Lords, giving Scotland a say. But that's a different message. Sorry, I'll let Andy come you. But that's a different message. I agree with you on that last point. Of course, it's good to have a strong cabal of SNP MPs down there standing up for Scotland, keeping Labour and Tories' feet to the fire. But that's a different message to But we're going to get rid of the Tories. I'm not sure. That you, can't get, you can't, because Stephen, you can't get rid of the Tories. The SNP cannot get rid of the Tories and their power-making ma- power responsibilities because only the Labour Party can do that. You're but playing look, into their narrative. If I'm, Anna Sarwar and, you know, if I'm Anna Sarwar and Keir Starmer, I'm rubbing my hands that you've chosen to go uh, as that is your top line for the pitch. Well, if you're Anna Sarwar or... Or, or Keir Stammer, you want to get rid of as many Tory MPs as you possibly can. If you're Anna Sarwar and Keir Stammer and you look at the raw numbers, you'd be saying, vote SNP. Now, I'm not arguing that they're suddenly going to turn around and do that, but from a Scottish perspective, the best way of getting rid of Tories or stopping from winning seats is the SNP. It's the best place party for it. Now, I think that the, the message is a little bit more sophisticated than maybe you're making out in terms of it does talk about those other range of issues. And actually, over the next few months, the SNP do need to say to people why they should be voting for them. You need to seal the deal with people. And in every election, you need to seal the deal time after time after time. And that's the beauty of democracy. Right, 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 right. You two go on mute for a minute. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's good. I love it. Um, let, let's, let's, let's get back to basics here of how a UK general election in the current context works. Um, the SNP are desperate for the Tories to do well in England, and mm-hmm. the Tories are desperate for the SNP to do well in Scotland. Right, that's just the rules. Okay, because the SNP don't want a Labour government at Westminster because that ruins the narrative of the only way to get rid of the Tories is to vote for the SNP. That will then prove to be incorrect because people will have just got rid of the Tories by voting Labour in large numbers. So the, the SNP want the Tories to win this election. It's the only way that their narrative holds together and it's good for them then going into the 2026 Scottish election because it means that an Sarwar can't win. So that's point one. The SNP want the Tories to do well. The Tories want the SNP to do well in Scotland because the fewer seats Labour get, the less chance there is of Keir Starmer forming a majority at Westminster. So the Tories would love the SNP to hold on to as many of their 48 seats as possible. The Tories and the SNP have mutually assured destruction here and both of them want the other one to do extremely well in England and Scotland respectively. So that is, <clears throat> that's point one and that, I'm afraid uh, I would... I would argue that that is an indisputable point, right? I, I disagree um, that that's an indisputable point. Well, anyway. I, I, I think, I, I understand why you disagree with that because you're well, a on, candidate for the party. Let's, let's <laughs> do well. But, <laughs> but other but, than that, hang on, Andy, hold, your, hold that thought. Stephen, why do you dispute it? I think it's important that we hear that. You know, the SNP first came to power 
when Labour had a majority government at Westminster at first won. So this whole point that the SNP can only win if the Tories are in power at Westminster just doesn't cut through. The second thing is, the Tories have been utterly disastrous over the past few years. Look, you need to make yourself relevant to people. What really worries folk at the moment? Look, I work in international affairs, you know, and everybody thinks it's something that happens somewhere else. Brexit, war in Ukraine, um, the action in the Red Sea has a real impact on cost of living crisis. Right now, we've got a cold snap. What will folk be worrying about? They'll be worrying about their energy prices. Now, we've seen as a consequence of Conservative Party policy the impact that that has on poverty, the impact it has on cost of living. I think you have a responsibility to try and make some progress where you can. So I think you need to get rid of the Tories. I think we need to see an end of the Conservative government. Now, I don't take the point that you desperately need Labour to be in power, that you need the Conservatives to be in power for the SNP to be successful. The SNP has proved itself to be successful regardless of who's in power at Westminster. That's not to say that politics hasn't evolved. It has evolved. Things change. Things change on an almost weekly basis. But that's why I don't think it is an indisputable fact. I think you want rid of the Tories as soon as you possibly can. Secondly, Labour have made a whole range of promises now, if we look at the underlying issues, now this is where the SNP have got, I, I think, we're in a reasonably good position. Look at the underlying issues. Now, often in these podcasts and elsewhere, we'll talk about who's up, who's down, all that kind of stuff. Let's look at the underlying issues. The underlying issues is independence is still reasonably popular. Brexit is still very unpopular and failing. And the Scottish government institutions are more trusted than the Westminster government institutions. Now, for those fundamental underlying issues of what people think, that gives the SNP something to build on. It also means that if Labour are winning an election, are they delivering for the, you know, I was, I was reading Kenny Farquharson er, earlier on, who's, you know, as, 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 as you know, no great champion of the SNP, but underlying some of the challenges that Labour Party have to, to deliver. Mm. And actually, at the moment, do we know what they're for? I'm looking at Jeff. Right. Let me let me though, but let me come. Let me just come back on that um, to, yeah, cl- to, to, to answer that, and then close off as well. Um, I, so I, the Tories have been disastrous over recent years at Westminster, but I think we need to accept that we're also entering a new era where mm-hmm. a lot of people in Scotland think the SNP have also been disastrous, especially over the last few years. This is not any longer a situation where. Um, it is an exclusively a scunner factor with the Tories at Westminster. There's a big scunner factor with the SNP at Holyrood right now. And I think that it can be difficult for the SNP because they've been so powerful and so strong for so many years. It can be difficult to accept what is going on in parts of the electorate at the moment. But this is real now for the mm-hmm. SNP. There are a lot of people who have voted SNP and have been sympathetic to the SNP think the SNP right now are a disaster and the Scottish government is a disaster. That is that is happening. I think the other point is that, yes, the SNP won with Labour in power, but that was in 2007. It was a knife-edge win and it was nowhere near the sort of numbers that they have delivered in the Scottish Parliament since the Tories came to power. So sure. I, I, would, I would stand by uh, my point. But they, they were, just to close it off, I think the other point about the strategy and it's it's not that easy to create a strategy right now for the SNP at the Westminster elections but it is a hangover 
of this strategy, which actually has been the same for over 10 years, which is the only way to get rid of the Tories is to vote for the SNP. Now, that is true in six seats, but it is not true in the other 51. Right. And that is the problem It's demonstrably not. And Mm -hmm. if you want to make sure the Tories are no longer occupying Downing Street, then clearly the way to do that is to have as many Labour MPs from all parts of the UK as possible. That's just maths, I'm afraid. That's not politics. I'm sorry, Andy, but you're going back into this kind of Westminster bubble. You can yeah, only have two big yeah, parties. Yeah, but, but that presumes that the SNP have got a part to play. I mean, if the SNP think they've got a part to play in the Starmer government, I'm afraid they've not been listening. Starmer's not interested no. in working with the SNP. Do you know something? When the SNP were first... So let's take that 2007, right? And I think sometimes we do fall down rabbit holes of you can only vote for... One, one, one of the parties, and we sort of fall, fall down this. Whereas actually the, the UK is quite unique across Europe in the way in which it does its politics. And, you know, I remember sitting in the 2017 Parliament, whereby as the UK turned its back on Europe, actually the Parliament became much more European because it has become much more multi-party and multipolar over the... Over, over the, and that is reflective of the UK electorate in the same way the Scottish Parliament is more reflective of the Scottish electorate by dint of being through PR. But let me touch upon that 2007 period. Now, in 2007, you're right, it was a knife-edge vote and things have changed. Um, and we'll see which of us, if, if you have a Labour government and the SNP are in power at, at Holyrood, we will see. We don't know how that 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 relationship will evolve. Because that, but also it wasn't just because Labour were in power. The SNP had never been in power. Now, Jeff and I were both involved in that election campaign, and there was a lot of hard work to try and get people to say, look, the SNP haven't been in power. We didn't have experience of being in power. So actually getting people to come over the line in terms of giving you a shot at being in power was a challenge. It was, a, you know, I, I often think that 2007 was one of the hardest election. I've been involved in a lot of election campaigns. That was one of the hardest election campaigns I've ever been involved in and subsequently one of the most rewarding as well because you were asking people to trust you to go in power for the first time. So I'm not sure you can compare like with like. Also, the SNP proved at that time when I think 47 SNP MPs, 46 Labour MPs, when you had a plurality, you can actually get quite a lot done because you're having to, you know, work with other parties, you're having to listen to people. The Climate Change Act in 2009, world-leading climate change legislation, ambitious climate change legislation, was passed by every parliament, it's our party in the Scottish Parliament, because, you know, they had to talk to each other and work with each other. In 2017, Theresa May would only speak to the DUP. She'd only speak to the DUP. And I remember every day you were going into Westminster and Westminster might fall flat on its face because actually the minority the concern that Theresa May's government was dealing with was nowhere near the minority that the SNP had dealt with in that first period of government. And I remember making the point that actually there was something that Westminster politics could learn from Holyrood. Incidentally, I think there's always things that you can learn from each other. But in that scale, in terms of minority government, I think there there, there was. This kind of winner-takes-all approach, whereby... You know, David Cameron gets a majority, get a Brexit referendum on something like 35, 36% of the popular vote. Is that sustainable in terms of trying to take a population with you? And that's some of the challenges. Now, to go back to the other point, sorry, I don't, I'll, 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 I'll make it very, very brief, but Jeff will have a go at me if I don't tackle the <laughs> final point. Um, on that point around, there are people who think, look, the SNP has been in power for 16 years. 
that is a long time. Now, you're trying to do things within the ambit of not having the powers that a Westminster government has, and that leads to some very challenging spending decisions and financial decisions. But yeah, there's no question if you've been in power in 16 years, you have a record um, to defend and you have to speak to folk about public service delivery. And that is right. It's right they should be challenging you around that. Steve, I just want to come in on what, what you said and bring it together and maybe ask the question a little bit more directly. So you mentioned 2007 being the breakthrough election and, and a huge um, milestone for the SNP. I agree. Mm-hmm. Who were our principal opponents at that election? It was the Labour Party. Mm-hmm. So let's who were in, who incidentally were in power. I mean, we're just after that's the same period Andy's talking about being a poor sort of press officer for the but, Conservatives. But, but but sorry, but I think there's almost a contradiction in what you're saying. So the Labour Party were in office at Westminster at mm-hmm. 2007, and they were the focus of our um, uh, attacks, so to speak, or our campaign. Yeah. We are now in a situation where the Labour Party are our principal opponents, are the SNP's principal opponents. Not the Conservatives, the Labour Party. Quite clearly they are. Every poll suggests it. The other Glen by-election result suggests it. And you mentioned cost of living and mm-hmm. Brexit. Why aren't we f- focusing the SNP, their ire on Labour's positioning on those issues, trying to outflank them, as opposed to saying, we'll get rid of six MPs in Scotland as your big overarching message. Why are you not focusing on your principal opponents in politics, which is always a good thing, rather than those who are not your principal opponents? Well, I think the SNP is. Look, if, if and, and not just with Hamza. Red Scotland of the Tories. I've seen the banners. I've seen the, the images. That's, that's one, our big Jeff, message from our lawyers. Jeff, that's, that's one line. And I think there's a fundamental issue the Labour Party have got to face here. Brexit is crippling. And we know it's contributing to the cost of living crisis. You go out again. That's what people worry about, right? Brexit is a fundamental flaw. It makes us less secure, makes us poorer, makes us less wealthy. Incidentally, we could go in, 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 into this. I also think that the model of a European Union replaces an outdated UK Union. You know, and I think there's a very significant intellectual case around that. And also where we're going in terms of security in Europe and European strategic autonomy. I think your twin pillars of security have to be NATO and the European Union. The European Union is a security actor. So I think that the UK being in this isolationist position, and you're right, but to be fair, I keep hearing SNP MPs, SNP MSPs challenging the Labour Party because once Labour are going to try and get through this election with the thinnest of manifestos and saying as little as it possibly can. We've seen this on Rwanda. We're seeing it on Brexit. We're seeing it on a whole range of issues. Incidentally, I think that is unsustainable because I think if you are um, seeking to be a party of power for the first time in a number of years, you have to start putting flesh on the bones. And these issues are very significant. I don't think you can accuse... Um, SNP parliamentarians of not targeting Labour on that. And you hear Stephen Flynn, where he's sitting, you know, just a few feet away from Keir Stammer, regularly bringing up these issues. And and, and actually, to, to, to the frustration of, the, of, of, of Labour MPs, who know that they're exposed in this particular area. Because if you get, I think 2024, if you get that significant change at a Westminster level, then you have to start opening up things like Brexit like the House of Lords, like the constitutional position of the constituent parts, and and again, giving people a choice in Scotland, for instance. But there's such a whole range of issues that desperately need tackled. And I think Brexit goes to the very heart of those. And I think that is being challenged. Uh, um, uh, so 
I mean, I, I agree with everything you said about the impact of Brexit. Um, I voted Remain. I would do it again. I think it's yep. been a, an unnecessary disaster. But I also now think Brexit is an intellectual exercise. I don't think it's an exercise amongst voters. I think if, if Brexit was the silver bullet for the SNP, then the poll we talked about at the start of this podcast would not say the things that it says. I think the electorate, politicians have not moved on from Brexit, but I think the electorate has. I just don't think it's a big sure. election issue. I agree about the impact. I'm not, I'm not disputing anything you're saying. I just don't think it's a cut-through issue anymore. I just don't. Well, maybe not. But look, we're in the first couple of weeks of the new year. You know, folk are getting, they've gotten back to work after Christmas, all that kind of stuff. And we're looking up to what might be an election campaign of just a few, of just two or three months, or or, or it might be almost a year going going up to November. What's your task when you're fighting an election? Your task is to make yourself you're, you're trying to be relevant and cutting through to people on issues. Now, Andy, on the cost of living crisis, we're seeing our European partners overtake us. I think this is pretty fundamental. Now, I, I, I'm not sure I entirely agree with you that it isn't something that people are still worried about. You know, it's, it's something that if you look at opinion polls, there's been that that shift. There wasn't as much of a shift in Scotland because, you know, we were pretty much as I see it in the right place in terms of our relationship with Europe anyway. But we know it's impacting on the cost of living. It's putting your food prices up. It's making us less secure. And so on all of these issues, you know, it's no, nothing's a silver bullet, but it is part of the solution. And when you've got something as multifaceted as a, as a cost of living crisis, then you have to look at the various solutions. Now, there's some stuff that's out with your control. A war in Ukraine and Houthi attacks in the Red Sea are largely out with your control. Brexit, it's a political disaster made by politicians that's having a direct impact on people, which you can reverse. And the European institutions have been very clear it is something which you can reverse. So I take your point, Andy. I agree with some of it. I don't agree with all of it. But it is one of the things over which an incoming government has power, certainly at a Westminster level at the moment, and something they can do something about. Mm. And I think that getting through the next week while saying absolutely nothing about it, giving the impact it's having on people's day-to-day lives, is utterly unsustainable. And when you say reverse it, Stephen, do you mean literally reverse it, that the UK should rejoin the EU? Yeah. 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 Fine. I mean, I want Scotland to join as, a, as an independent member state, but look, it's making the whole of the UK poorer. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. Rejoin the EU, you could do it. Now, it wouldn't be the same EU that you did because it constantly ev- ev- evolves, but you've heard that from the European institutions. Mm-hmm. You know, look, the single market for me, the European single market is, is as well as being a, a really important peace process. You know, we've had peace in Western Europe. Ukrainians are fighting on, ba- on, 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 on the battlefield. Um, at, 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 at the moment, we're going, to, we're going to mark 10 years since the initial Russian invasion of Ukraine this year. I mean, devastating for that country. And the way that Russia's reacted, the way that Europe, the rest of Europe pulled together, it's been a democratic success. It's been an economic success. So why would you isolate yourself by being outside? You know, every country that's joined the EU has got wealthier. The one country that left the EU got poorer. Very simple. So when we talk about what can you do, there's an awful lot that's outside of your control. This is something that's in your control, certainly from a Westminster perspective. Uh, a couple of questions then from uh, Twitter. Uh, thank you for these. Uh, some of these we may have slightly touched on. Uh, this person who has the name SO3 Beards. 
on Twitter. Make of that what you will. Right. Says, as a professor of international relations, how has Brexit impacted independence? Morally, the case may be stronger, but in practical terms, people have seen how much more complex unlocking political unions is than its proponents claim. So I th- look, that's, that's, that's a fair point. But if, if, if you look at it and it touches upon the Brexit thing, and I, I, th- I think this is a real issue UK-wide. That's, it is talked about in Scotland, but I don't think it's talked about in the rest of the UK. First of all, I think that the European Union changed the discussion and debate and independence long before I existed back in 1972, 1973, because I think you now have a model of a union that, that works, and it certainly works for most countries in in, in, in Western Europe, if you go to places like Finland, if you, if you go to Helsinki, Dublin, Copenhagen, elsewhere, people do not consider themselves not to be independent in the country, not to be sovereign. Secondly, I think the single market has been a market success um, for the whole of Europe. It's helped sustain peace. It's helped sustain prosperity. It's made the gap between rich and poor is, um, smaller. It's not perfect. It's a work in progress. But I think sometimes we overlook the enormous success that the single market has been. Now, I want England and Wales to be in the single market. That's a matter for people in England and Wales rather than a matter for me. I want them to be inside the single market. There is one example of Brexit Britain where the UK has disentangled itself from the rest of of Europe, something that no other sort of developed European country has gone through the process of doing in recent years. And in many ways, there's been more integration. So actually what Scotland is seeking to do is Scotland seeking to do something that's kind of reaching the European mainstream. It's the boring option again. It's rejoining that European mainstream. There's one example of Brexit Britain. There are 27 examples of member states of the European Union. That's not to say there'd be some added um, complexity around the border and around these issues for as long as England and Wales stay outside the single market. But actually, you're rejoining the European mainstream with independence Mm. and as a member state of the EU. Interesting. Uh, so Lewis asks, what would a closer relationship with the EU look like? But I suppose that's you've probably kind of answered that there, actually. You want to, be, you want to be a part of it. Yeah, <laughs> it would. Exactly. Stephen, can I just um, uh, ask you on that, though? And I know you've been a, a massive Europhile and done a lot of work for the SNP uh, on this stuff, really good work. Would you accept... Um, what some proponents of uh, independence are putting forward, our mutual previous boss as one of them, uh, that EFTA is a good stepping stone to that. Would you be willing to engage no. in that premise? What? Where? Where's Why that not? stepping stone? Either you apply or you don't. Are you seeking to be an EU member or are you not? The EFTA members are not seeking to be EU members. Scotland is. You know, we voted for it twice in referendums. And also I've heard people... But would you rather be in Esther than not be in anything? Of course you would, because the closer you are to the European Union, look, I vote, you know, you, you want to be in the single market, the customs union. And actually I worked with Nick Bowles, for example, on a Norway plus option as a compromise during the Brexit process around 2017, 2018. And that's something I, I voted for. Fundamentally, that was a good option. Imagine where we'd be if Norway Plus I know. was, you know, that was a good option. And remember that was a compromise. So what do I want? I wanted Scotland, I wanted the UK to be part of the European Union. Nick Bowles, to his credit, 
sat down and he's, you know, he actually left the Tory benches and he joined a member. He came over and sat next to us because he was so frustrated and the lack of engagement from his own benches on seeking a compromise. So I don't think it would have been perfect. But I think if Scotland wants to be a member of the EU, yes, it's primarily an economic project. It's also a political project. I think you need to say to people, firstly, our European partners, do you want to be a member state or not? I think that has to be an emphatic yes. But also, and I think if you're debating independence, you need to set out your stall and how you see Scotland you know, evolving as an independent state. Not only do we see that, I think it makes economic sense, I, mean, I think it makes sense for security, but also from a democratic perspective, we've seen folks shift from no to yes because of membership of the EU. So first of all, I don't understand the EFTA argument from a democratic campaigning perspective if you want independence. But I also don't see it because people have said, well, you know, it's a stepping stone. It isn't a stepping stone. You either want to join the EU or you don't. You know, an association agreement with the EU is a stepping stone. Mm. This isn't a stepping stone. And I've heard people saying it's, it solves the challenging problems around the border. No, it doesn't. Because if you look at the relations, because you're talking about things like a customs union and all that sort of stuff. So for as long as England and Wales are outside the single market and the customs union and thus making themselves poorer, you will have that challenge because you're wanting to sit inside that bigger single market. So I'm sorry, Jeff. I don't think it's a solution, and I disagree with our former boss on that particular issue. But I think if he's listening and he won't be surprised to hear me say that. (laughs) No, I knew you did, but I thought it was important to set out why you think that's the case. Yeah, Yeah. It's an interesting point. And I think the point you make about the compromise, Andy's spot on. You know, we could be quids in right now if we managed to to agree to that compromise in the interim. I mean, I really... But we could have been, and you see Northern Ireland, and actually if you look at the export figures, the import and export figures around Northern Ireland um, just now, that, that, you know, Michael Gove's telling Northern Ireland, oh, you get the best of both worlds. That's not to say that Brexit's good for Northern Ireland. If If it's bad for any part of the UK and it's bad for every part of the UK, it is particularly bad for Northern Ireland, even with this compromise that they have in so called best of both worlds. It's bad all round. You know, for me, Europe's the future. For me, the European Union replaces the UK Union as the, um, the the union of choice for so many other European countries. And I think we've not talked about European strategic autonomy and we probably don't have time to do so. But I don't think you can underscore the implications of Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine and what that means for European countries in terms of energy security, food security, but also hard security as well. And I think that's something that we're only beginning to debate and discuss um, in, in, in our politics. And there are big challenges for every single political party on the full implications of what Putin's Russia is and what it's doing to the rest of Europe. Stephen, just a couple more questions for you, and you've been very generous with your time, and it's been thought-provoking and really interesting, so thank you. Uh, First of all, this one from Mada on Twitter. Uh, Given the increasing rancour and factionalism witnessed within the SNP, do you, Stephen, think this must be resolved in order to achieve independence, or does a future with multiple pro-yes political parties stand a better chance? Look, I... I'm a member of the SNP and I vote for the SNP. I have to say, when people talk about the factionalism in, in the SNP, I haven't seen it. I mean, look, there's, there are We've heard it, and Steve, I have to say, we have things. heard it relentlessly on this podcast from other SNP members. Have you? I mean, look, maybe maybe I've been... Because you, you have to remember that I've been outside. I've been totally, working yeah, in, a, no, in a university. So I've, so I've not been in Parliament, you know, and I've... And I've, and I've, 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 I've 
I've not been there. I think that one of the great things that the SNP had was that unity of purpose around independence. I think there have been challenges. I think sometimes as a political party, you always need to to be good at having a debate and discussion around policy issues. You know, as I as I sat out set out just a short time ago, maybe we need to be better at talking about what does strategic autonomy, what does European security look like in terms of the way it has implications. And actually, I think in the past, we weren't great at having a debate and discussion, for example, in the aftermath of 2014, Russia's annexation of Crimea and Donbass. That was something I was raising. Mm. Um, polarisation. But these go across the political parties. You always need to have a lively debate about the future of your party. Like people who are in the SNP want to achieve independence. And I think having a debate and discussion around the tactics and how you get there is a perfectly healthy thing to do. You know, Pete Wishart did it at SNP conference. Pete Wishart then lost when he did it at SNP conference, but he was out there. He was debating some of his ideas and that's healthy for any political party to do that. Uh, and just a final one from me. We've, we've talked a lot, understandably, on this podcast about the SNP's election strategy, and uh, we will mm-hmm. be talking a lot about the election all year, obviously. Um, based on the polling, based on the strategy, based on the conversation we've had, can Hamza Yusuf maintain the credibility to lead the SNP if he loses 25 seats at the general election? Look, campaign. Uh, yes, I think, I think Hamza's done well. You know, I mean, I can remember when Nicola took over as SNP leader, a lot of people were saying, oh, she's no Alex Hammond. Well, she wasn't an Alex Hammond. You know, and people will say, Hamza, he's no Nicola Sturgeon. He's no Nicola Sturgeon. This is his first electoral test. I think that you that you judge on the results. I think that if you look at the, a lot of these seats, there's a lot of hard work that needs to be done. If you go back to the start, I think political parties look at that. And what do you use it for? You use it for a call to arms for your volunteers. But remember that poll still has the SNP winning the election and losing 25 you know, that's seats. what you want to do you want to win the election well I, th- I think look there's still a long long way to go and that's one poll and it also shows a lot of tight margins so do you get out there do you fight can you make the difference um on on the doorsteps but it's one opinion poll it mm. has the smp winning i think Hums has done well i really do think he's he's sounds like he's you've still got well. him on, it sounds like still got him on probation is, no, not at all. I think he's doing well. I think he's doing well. That's no, I don't at all. I think he's doing really well. I think he's done well in government in exceptionally difficult set of circumstances. I think his reaction to the um, Israel-Palestine situation was exceptional, given his personal set of circumstances, but given the thoughtful way that that that, that he approached it. I think he showed humanitarianism, and I think he showed leadership, and I think that's what you look for in a, in, in, in a political leader. I think he's doing a good job. Stephen, thank you very much. Great to have you on the podcast. Uh, Stephen Gethins, thanks for your time. Thank you. And thank you so much for listening. Thank you for finding us. Lots more to come this year. We've got our energy special in just a couple of weeks, so make sure you're with us to listen to that. Please pop us a little review on whatever app you're listening on as well. And if you want your question answered by our guests, we often tweet when we are when we know who's coming on uh, so that you can get your questions in. Or if you've got questions anytime for Jeff and Andy, email hello at hollywoodsources.com to keep in touch. We'd love to hear from you on anything and everything. Thank you so much for being there. Share the little promo video as well, as you can tell. We're really trying to energise the podcast for the start of the new year. So thank you for being there already. It is time to tell your friends. Don't let them miss out. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you again next week.
Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.